Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. In light of COVID-19, our regularly scheduled 9 and 11 a.m. Sunday services are currently suspended. During this time, we will live stream our 11 a.m. Sunday morning service and plan to offer other online connection points throughout the week. You can find us on Facebook or visit www.rockpoint.org for more information, including important schedule updates. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you to Rock Point uh, live stream. Uh, to be fair to the bulk of our congregation, <clears throat> I feel like I should wait another 15 minutes um, for those who will be walking in late uh, to this uh, broadcast. Um, we're in unprecedented times right now, and it's funny the things that you take for granted until they're gone, whether it's being able to meet together um, or just the safety of the environment that we presume upon. But it's also an opportunity, we're going to talk about that a little bit today, um, it's an opportunity to be creative, we've already been doing that, uh, some of you will have accessed already several hundred of you, the children's material that Pastor Jeff has posted and we've already received videos back of your children in your living room um, dancing or singing to the music. It's an innovative time uh, to express community, whether it's meeting in homes or in small groups. We have asked this morning for some staff members, families, as well as some elders to gather here with us uh, to give us a little bit of a gathering here. Um, we've had questions about giving. We'll address that another time. It's not a high priority for us right now. But it has been interesting, the number of people that actually have inquired about that or have actually brought things in at this point. We have been very conscious over the years to not embrace um, a live stream process. It's not that we're against it. It's just that the tendency in this type of communication is for you to spectate and not to participate. It can lend itself to a detached sense of channel surfing or even an unengaged or critical uh, mindset. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you, wherever you're at, scattered across the city, to know a couple of things. One is that we are still here, and we're going to continue to uh, serve our community throughout this entire time. Particularly, I'd like to encourage you this morning to engage, whether you're sitting in your bathrobe right now, or whether you're dressed up in your Sunday best. I'm not sure why you would do that. Um, but that you would engage, whether that's in worship or whether that's going to be uh, with your mind and with your thoughts. It is kind of interesting that just a week or so ago we emphasized that song, Heart of Worship, when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. Bringing more than a song for a song in itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within to the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. Wherever you're at today during this broadcast, know several things. One, you are not alone. God and his Holy Spirit is present with you, and we still stand as a community. And now that everything's been stripped away, maybe it's a good thing that we come at this point in time just draw for a song of worship. And so join us. Don't spectate. Don't sit back. Engage. Join me wherever you're at in prayer right now. Father, we come together as your people in a unique time in our history. And Lord, while we are sober-minded about that, we are not fearful. We are resolute and clear 
And Lord, we know that you are a God that is in control of all. And so we set aside all panic, we set aside all fear, we set aside all apprehension, and we come in this gathering here today, spread out as we are, to be your church. We thank you for your presence. We welcome you here, wherever we are gathered, in your name, amen. you minister to us, even in the difficult times. And we just ask that you'd be present and that you'd challenge our minds by your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, things are going on pretty much as normal. Um, I mentioned we have a small gathering here of people that are together, um, but life goes on. Uh, Stevenson is on the keyboard, out of your sight probably here a bit. And uh, Mel Butsakaris is still present with us, so life continues. Um, <laughs> Uh, there is, incidentally, also been uh, uh, a hold put on all dad jokes for the duration of the situation, so you'd be glad to know that as well. We know the story about how a illness from China has come out and struck down the Italian peninsula. What you don't know is that the year was 166. Uh, A.D., not 2020. The Roman Empire was at the zenith of its power, and the triumphant Roman legions under the command of Emperor Lucius Verus returned to Rome victorious after having defeated their Parthian enemies on the eastern border of the Roman Empire. As they marched west toward Rome, they carried with them more than the spoils of plundered Parthian temples. They also carried an epidemic that would ravage the Roman emperor over the course of the next two decades, an event that was going to transform the landscape of the Roman world. It's referred to as the Antonine Plague. It was going to reach every corner of the empire. It's actually what probably took the life of the emperor Verus himself in 169, possibly that of his co-emperor Marcus Aurelius in 180. We'll come back to our Roman friends uh, before we're done here yet today, but that plague was to wipe out one quarter of the Roman empire and uh, took the lives of 2,000 people a day. That is nowhere near what we're dealing with here today at all. But there's reasons as to why I want to plant that into your mind. Interestingly enough, for weeks we have been planning on speaking on the issue of signs and wonders as part of our ongoing series. Here we're talking about um, those signs and wonders that Jesus exhibited that showed that he was Messiah. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Matthew chapter 11, and said, what do I compare this generation? And they're like children sitting in the marketplaces calling out to others. And we talked about the music that was involved in that. But prior in that same passage, Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 6, John the Baptist, who is in jail and is due actually to be executed, sends one of his disciples to Jesus to ask him, quote, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Basically, what Jesus was saying with that is that I'm doing those things that indicate I am Messiah. I'm doing those things that point to it, the signs, the indicators of that. There's numerous situations where he healed and restored. 
But if the current situation has done anything, it's probably made us more alert of what that would have meant in that time period. With all our technology, with all the, the things that we have, this virus has shaken us a bit. Maybe unduly so, but it's shaken us a bit. We're used to being able to um, resolve anything through our technology. We're used to buffering ourselves against the natural order. We think that there's something that we can take care of, and so we're now faced with something that seems out of our control, at least for the moment, or unknown. And that shakes us in a way. But this was the world that people have lived in for the majority of time, and it certainly was the time of Rome and of Christ. People got ill, they died. There was very little recourse in that. There was very little awareness. There was very little of, of how to treat or deal with those things. So when you had somebody who had come who could heal by a touch that could actually take away illnesses, this was completely unprecedented, something that would have caught a tremendous amount of attention and would have been a huge encouragement to the people of that time. We have multiple situations. One is in Luke chapter 4. It says, after leaving the synagogue that day, after leaving a place of worship, Jesus goes to Simon's home, where he finds Simon, Peter's rather, mother-in-law, very sick with a high fever. Very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and prepared a meal for them. That one really seems a little weird to me, that she's basically on her deathbed. And after getting healed, she just pops up, and the first thing she's going to do is serve the rest of those guys. Um, I think we're kind of out of that realm where women do that uh, consideration. But I think it goes to the point that, that she was so restored that she immediately wanted to offer hospitality to people. Whatever the fever was, whatever the illness was, he had authority over it and he rebuked it. And in the time that we're in, we need to be wise. We need to, uh, we've acceded to the governor's directions on these things right now. We respect the authorities. We need to wash our hands. We need to be careful who we're in contact. All those things are just things of wisdom that we have an understanding of now that people at that time perhaps didn't. But we also need to realize that beyond this, God is still in control. That if he rebukes something and it directs it, that those things are overcome. There's another passage of scripture in John chapter 5. And I've actually been to this location. It still exists. There's in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool. In Aramaic, it's called Bethesda. It has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years, Scripture says. Can you imagine being ill or, or in difficulty for almost four decades? This man had waited. And Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he asked him kind of a funny question, do you want to be healed? That may seem funny to us, but not everyone wants to be healed. Sometimes we get caught in our dysfunctionality, um, and frankly, we don't want to release it. Maybe it's because it's what's known to us. It's what's familiar to us at this point in time. Maybe it's garnered us attention or resources that either way, it's a known element to us. So Jesus doesn't just heal him. He asks him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water's stirred. While I'm going another step, someone else jumps in and Jesus says, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. It's thought that this was done probably during the time of what is called the Feast of Tabernacles or booths or tents. And it was a feast that went on for several days and 
little tents were set up everywhere. And it was to remind the children of Israel of when they lived in tents in the wilderness, that how when they were in the wilderness, when they were in a place of aridness and, and uh, um, want, that God provided for them. And so it's here during this feast when all these little tents are set up to remind the people of how God provided in that wilderness that Jesus comes along to this man who's been ignored by everyone else, overlooked by everyone else. For four decades he's been this way. Uh, the implication, unless it was from birth, is that he may have been in his 50s or 60s or 70s maybe even then. Very probably he was an older person. Overlooked by everyone else. And Jesus doesn't presume. He asks him, do you want to be healed? And the man responds, I do. He wants to come out of his dysfunctionality. So Jesus tells him, gives him a direction, pick up your bed and walk. He doesn't say, you're healed. Do this. He just gives him a direction. And sometimes the direction God gives us in the midst of our dysfunctionality seems very strange to us. Tell me I'm healed Tell me to do this. Give me some prescription. Don't tell me to get up my bed and walk when I'm paralyzed or I'm, I'm damaged because that just seems cruel. But something of Jesus affected this man that when he looked into his eyes and Jesus directed him that he either knew he was healed or he was willing to follow that direction immediately based on what he saw in the person of Jesus Christ. And so in the midst of his dysfunctionality of decades time, he picks up his mat and immediately he is healed and he begins to walk. Jesus doesn't help him up. He just says, pick up your mat and walk. I'll take a sidestep here for a moment and say that most of the people that are in threat during this season of time are those that are seniors. They're those that are older ones in our congregation. We've identified over 170 of those in our congregation already by the records that we have. And if you're one of those, we want you to know that we're concerned for you, that you are not being overlooked during this time, that you can communicate to us, talk to us, we're watchful of your situation and circumstance. This man who had been overlooked by everyone else, Jesus saw. We don't want anybody in our congregation, old or young, to be overlooked during this time. But Jesus has the ability beyond any science, beyond any elements, to create healing and restoration. And we need to be aware of that. That was something that was provided in a time period when people were dying in droves, when they saw no hope, when they saw nothing to live for even. But Jesus brings that, not just in that time, but today still as well. C.S. Lewis raised a question years back when nuclear war was the thing everyone was terrified about. And the things he speaks to at that time goes just as well to this time period as well, even though it's not nuclear war that we now fear. And he raised an important question. He said, it's not whether or how we will die, but if in the meantime, we will be doing sensible and human things, he said, like praying, working, reading, listening to music, and bathing the children. He asked his readers to consider the important but unsettling truth that, quote, nature does not in the long run favor life. It's an ominous observation that points to an essential worldview truth. If nature is all that exists, in other words, if there is no God and no life of some quite different sort somewhere outside of nature, then all stories, he says, quote, will end in the same way in a universe from which all life is banished without the hope of return. So how do we respond to this unsettling truth of hopelessness and that naturalistic worldview? He said the first is suicide. We just check out. The second is simply to have a, as good a time as possible, grab what you can in the time period. 
The third response, he said, naturally is for us to go down fighting, kind of an Invictus type of thing, to live as if the universe had meaning. We can insist on being rational and merciful even when the universe is not. Of course, if we choose that option, there's no way to actually prevail against what he called the idiocy of the universe. It would still win. Our insistence on being rational and merciful has no real justification if all there is is the natural order. He instead would say that the hopelessness of these three options should instead lead us to a different conclusion. He said, quote, we must simply accept that we are spirits, free and rational beings at present inhabiting an irrational universe and must draw the conclusion that we are not derived from it. In other words, we reject naturalism and embrace what he refers to as a much earlier view, biblical theism or the understanding of the things of God, becoming followers of Jesus Christ. In this way, we avoid the despair brought on by knowing that we are under, quote, a sentence of death, whatever form that death takes, because there's something beyond this world. It's not just a product of the naturalism that we're involved in right now. And as a result, for those who believe in God, doing sensible and human things are possible because we have a hope that Jesus brought into this world and continues to uphold. For those who do not have that hope, I'm going to tell you guys, there's no amount of toilet paper or cans of Spam stacked in the garage that's going to make anyone truly safe, much less actually solve the ultimate question of meaning that haunts us all before this virus and will continue afterwards. Today as yesterday, the world is still in God's hands. Nothing has changed. Whatever the next chapter in this virus's story might be, the same questions for us are going to continue to remain. Will we trust God? Will we love our neighbor? I'd mentioned to you earlier about what impacted the Roman Emperor, Empire in 166. It's thought that it might have been a plague of measles or smallpox, but it devastated. One quarter of the empire died. Later, there was a reoccurrence of this. About a century later, referred to as the Cyprian uh, um, plague as well. In that one, 5,000 people in Rome alone died per day. It is nothing like what we're having to face. That plague actually coincided with the first empire-wide persecution of Christians under the emperor Decius. And not surprisingly, Decius and other enemies of the church at that time actually blamed Christians for the plague in the same way that Nero blamed Christians for the burning of Rome looking for a scapegoat. But that claim was undermined by two very inconvenient facts. One is that Christians died from the plague like everyone else, and unlike everyone else, they cared for the victims of the plague, including their pagan neighbors. And this wasn't new. Christians had done the same thing during the Antonine Plague a century earlier. In fact, those plagues led to the spread of Christianity as Christians cared for the sick and offered a spiritual model whereby plagues were not the work of an angry and capricious deities, but the product of a broken creation in revolt against a loving God. As Rodney Stark wrote in The Rise of Christianity, um, Christians stayed in the afflicted cities where pagan leaders, including physicians, fled. Candida Moss, a professor of New Testament and early Christianity in Notre Dame, notes that, and, and that by their actions in the face of possible uh, epidemic that seemed like the end of the world, 
that actually promoted the spread of Christianity as Christians showed their neighbors grace and that their faith was worth dying for and their love not just of God but of one another. In fact, it got so bad that at one point in time, Julian the Apostate, um, an emperor who also hated the uh, uh, Christians in the late 4th century, wrote this, the impious Galileans, meaning Christians, support not only their own poor, but ours as well. And so I come back, will we trust God in this season as a God of healing and of grace? And will we provide for one another? And will we care for one another? This has to be done with thoughtfulness. There's a, a second part to not just caring for people, but also in how we do that. Martin Luther, the original one, um, during the midst of, a, of an epidemic in his native country, mentioned that, that, that we should care for people. And he actually cared to the, such a degree that he had a loss out of his own family. But he said we must not tempt God. He interpreted that thou shalt not murder as saying that actually means we must never endanger others through our negligence or recklessness. In his essay, he encourages believers to obey quarantine orders, fumigate their houses, take precautions to avoid spreading the disease. The Christian motive for hygiene and sanitation doesn't arise in self-preservation, but in an ethic of service of our neighbor. We wish to care for the afflicted, which first and foremost means not infecting the healthy. Early Christians created the first hospitals in Europe as hygienic places to provide for care during times of plague on the understanding that negligence that spread disease further was in fact a type of murder. And so as we kind of bring this thing here down tomorrow, I want to highlight several things. One, there was um, the other day or so a United Airlines flight from Colorado to New Jersey that was diverted, landing in Denver after several of the passengers grew unruly after being seated next to a passenger that, that was ill. They, the plane took off and landed like minutes later because people were seeing someone who was sneezing and coughing and they reacted so badly to that situation, ignoring the directions of the flight crew, that they had to land the plane almost immediately after takeoff at an auxiliary field. Now, it turned out afterwards that the individual only had uh, um, allergies. That was it. Don't be panicked. Don't be fearful. Don't go into crazy, stupid things. That's somewhere in the scripture, I'm sure. Okay? Don't be stupid. <laughs> Two brothers in Tennessee you might have seen recently. They're going viral online, and they're taking some heat because they stocked up on hand sanitizer. Some of you might have seen this one. After the first death was announced in the U.S., um, these two guys, I won't name them, but they went on a road trip to clean out shelves at the local stores. Over the next three days, these guys traveled over 1,300 miles and filled their truck up with thousands of vials, over 18,000 bottles of hand cleaner. Then they went home and they posted these things on, uh, um, I think, Amazon and eBay for $8 to 70 bucks a piece. In other words, they were price gouging. They used this moment in time to take advantage of their fellow man. Well, justice comes even through Amazon, evidently, because Amazon removed their thousands of listings the very next day after they'd made an initial killing. And so they are now stuck with 17,000 bottles of hand cleaner. In this time, we need to be thoughtful of one another. We need to be considerate. 95% of us are not going to have an issue with this illness. It'll fade in memory. What we, what we do 
during these times, how we act, the way we as followers of Jesus Christ, what witness we provide, that, that rings on, folks, when done properly through the centuries, through the millennia. We're not going to deny the existence of what's taking place. We're not going to be foolish about it. We're going to be wise and considerate. But we're not going to run in fear and we're not going to run in panic. Most of you have, have seen uh, It's a Wonderful Life, the movie. If you haven't seen it, you're culturally illiterate and you need to take time while you're locked in your house to view it later today, okay? But there's one point in time where George Bailey is leaving town with his wife on their honeymoon and there's a run formed by rumors, formed by rumors and false information. There's a run on their bank, on their savings and loan. And so everyone's rushing in and, and it's going to destroy the facility. They're going to lose everything. All the people are gathered there. He walks in and, and everyone wants their money now. And if everyone does that, the place will be wiped out. And if you know the scene, he tries to convince them, no, don't do this. It's not true. It's the, the panic. Don't you realize this other person up the street's buying during this time, not selling. Don't let the panic drive you. One man named Tom comes up to the countertop and, and he says, you know, I've got $242. Well, how much will it take just to get by, Tom, so we can make sure everyone's being covered and provided for? Because if Tom gets his 242 someone else isn't going to get money. And he says, I got $242, Tom, what to get by? 242 I want my 242 And so he gives him the $242 and he walks out. Next guy that walks up says, I've got 300 in my account. I know Ed, you've got 300, but what will it take you to get by so we can provide for everyone else? And he says, $20 will do. Next one up is Mrs. Thompson. And uh, um, Mrs. Thompson, she says, but it's your own money because it's being provided from their honeymoon money. And he says, that's all right. I'm, I'm steered to provide. And she says, I think $20 would do for me as well. And then Ms. Davis, if you remember Ms. Davis, if you don't, then uh, check out the Waltons sometime. It's Ellen Corby, she played Grandma Walton. And so she steps up as a, as a, as a middle-aged person in this setting, uh, later to be grandma. And uh, he says, what do you need, Ms. Davis? And uh, he says, can I, can I have $17.50? And you remember, he's just like, so overwhelmed by her thoughtfulness, by her willingness to sacrifice to get just exactly what she needed to get by, no more, no less, that he grabs her, kisses her, and says, of course you can, and everyone's erupting into a moment. There's a backstory to that moment, actually, because um, Capra, who had uh, uh, directed this movie, and during all the rehearsals, she had said, and in the script, she was to say $20. In all the rehearsals, that's how it had worked out. But he took her aside before the actual filming and said, look at why don't you say 1750? Give an odd number. And so when she said 1750, it literally caught Jimmy Stewart by surprise. And he was so much in character that he was actually caught by the idea of this woman sacrificing in this way to make sure others were provided for that spontaneously he says, of course you can, and he kisses her. Now, I'm not going to kiss any of you that decide that you're going to help out. Okay, I understand the social distancing issue. We'll do the old shoulder bump, foot tap, wave from a distance, whatever you want. But my point being is there's Tom who took resources that others could have used and he grabbed them for himself. Don't be a Tom. There are others that still took what they needed, but then there was this one little old lady who goes one step beyond. One step beyond. In this season, if we're going to become followers of Christ... 
then let's become followers of Christ. Let's recognize that we serve a God who can heal at a word, that can draw us out of our dysfunctionality if we're prepared to be drawn out of that dysfunctionality. I've told many of you over the years, my, my favorite statement about that is, how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? Well, only one. But the light bulb has to really want to change. And in the same way, when we're in the midst of our illness, whether it's physical, whether it's a virus, whether it's something that's crippled us in body or in mind or in spirit, Christ can heal us. He desires to heal us. He is a God of healing, but only if we want to. And then, of course, there are some situations where even with that, he still says there are moments that we have to endure and that we persevere. But as we persevere and as we walk through those things, we need to understand that God provides even when there's healing not provided. The reinterpretation, um, not really interpretation, just different interpretation of what it was that, that, that John's disciple was told by Jesus in the message version put this, puts it this way. Go back and tell John what's going on. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. But I like this last line. The wretched of the earth learn that God is on their side. This is what it meant for the coming of Messiah. This is what it meant for Christ to come into a world that was racked with illness, dissension, disaster, turmoil, and dysfunctionality. He didn't heal just to restore a few. He did that to show the signs that he was who he said he was, God in the flesh. That he still is who he said he was, God and that the wretched of the earth will learn that God is on their side. Today, as yesterday, the world is still in God's hands. Nothing has changed. Whatever the next chapter in this current story might be, the same questions remain for us. As followers of Christ in the midst of this, will we trust God? Will we use wisdom in our interactions? Will we love our neighbor? Will we be as faithful and as clear as those who served in times of difficulty in the past to show that God is God and that we are his followers by our love? We will, as a group, still be here serving during this entire time period. Wherever you are at, I want to encourage you that you do the same in whatever way that God is wisely directing you to do so. I have a few other thoughts I want to share with you, but before we do that, I just want to present a song to you for this moment, especially for those of you that are dealing with, whether it's physical ailment, mental, emotional anxieties, whatever the case may be, to take a moment just to, to meditate on God's provision. And so, Father, I pray right now, as we pause for a moment before we conclude this gathering, that you'd speak to us just through your spirit, through just this medium of music. Amen.
136 Psalm says, Give thanks to the Lord for he's good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. Give thanks to him who alone does mighty miracles, for his love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavens so skillfully, his love endures forever. Give thanks to him who placed the earth among the waters, his love endures forever. Give thanks to him who made the heavenly lights, his love endures forever. The sun to rule the day, his love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule the night, his love endures forever. Give thanks to him who parted the Red Sea for Israel in their time of need. His love endures forever. He led Israel safely through, even as he will lead us through this, because his love, it endures forever. Here, old Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, his love's going to endure forever. Give thanks to him who led his people through wildernesses, for his love endures forever. And the psalm is closed by saying, he remembered us in our weakness. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love, and other translations says his faithful love. Other translations says his steadfast love, but his faithful, steadfast love endures forever. Even in times like this, more so than any other time, God is present. And you are not alone no matter where you're at. And his faithful love, his steadfast love endures forever. The coronavirus leaves over 95% of its victims still breathing, folks but it virtually leaves every member of our society afraid and anxious, isolated, alone, wondering if anyone even notices that they're there, that they're gone, just like the man at the pool. In an increasingly individualized society, the coronavirus could rapidly mutate into an epi epidemic of despair. I wrote this recently in a letter, and I want to read it again. This is a season where fear and uncertainty can leave us feeling driven and helpless. I am of the profound belief that this is also, though, the time to stand against such potentially destructive impulses. We are both tested and we are shaped, both as individuals and as a people, by moments such as this. As a people of faith, I encourage you to not let the current situation have rulership over you. Let us instead be thoughtful, use wisdom, seek ways during this time to encourage and love one another. The pool that the paralytic sat beside was called Bethesda. In Aramaic and Greek, it means mercy, the pool of mercy or the pool of grace. In this season, be graceful. The scripture says to us in Ephesians, be kind, compassionate to one another. Second Timothy says, for God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love to express and of a sound mind. Don't let your mind get overcast with this. We're still going to be here as a staff. The offices and the church will be open. 
The governor's explicitly exempted daycare and preschool because of the need for those, and so I will continue to run. If you want to come in because you're feeling isolated and just have a time of prayer, if you want to interact with a pastor, if you're isolated at home and you want one of us to visit you, contact us, email, phones. Would the building be available from 9 a.m. until 5 or 6 p.m. Um, during the start time? And chill out. Share your hand cleanser with somebody else. Don't get freaked out if you have a friend that suddenly has a cough. Be wise and be thoughtful. But let's realize what we do during this time echoes way beyond this time. We'll keep you informed of what's happening as far as services or gatherings and what's taking place. Keep track through Facebook, emails, etc. Meanwhile, I would say go in God's grace. Be kind, be safe. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you even, Lord, though this is not our preferred method of communication that you've provided it for us so that we can participate together. And I ask, Lord, particularly for our seniors most affected by this, Lord, that you'd give us ways to address and to uh, minister to them and that you protect and watch over this congregation. Guide us in this season of time, we pray. We give you honor and glory. And we know that this is an opportunity to minister on your behalf. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.